Hi everyone. Good morning and good afternoon, depending on where you're joining from. Um, I see people are logging in. We'll just wait for a few seconds before we get it started. All right. Hello again. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining in today. I would like to welcome all of you to Clinical Oncology Summit 2023, part two, hosted by Kaijin Digital Insights. My name is Iman Patacharya. I'm a Selenia Global Product Marketing Manager in Kaijin, and I will be your host today. Before we get started, this is a quick legal disclaimer. Um, Kaijin products are shown here are Internet for Molecular Biology Applications, and these are not intended for diagnosis, prevention, or treatment of a disease. For any updated information or licensing information, please go to our website or take a look into the user manual. So this is a um, two-part event. Today is the part two, or final part of the Clinical Oncology Summit. The part one of the Clinical Oncology Summit happened on April 27th for specific Europe, uh, rest of the world, and North America region where our experts have discussed tips and tricks to improve accuracy and efficiency of reporting relevant variants from large and comprehensive cancer genomic profiling. That includes how to simplify and automate secondary analysis in a few steps, how to generate oncologist-ready uh, clinical reports from comprehensive and large cancer panels within minutes. And we also talked about a high-quality somatic alteration database as a clinical validation tool for somatic variant interpretation. If you have missed this recording, or if you wanna, um, if, sorry, if you have missed the session, or if you wanna take a look into the recordings once again, the part one is available on demand. Please use the same registration link to take a look into the part one recording session. Um, before we get started, there are some key housekeeping items today. Um, this is a very specific discussion-only event, and all attendees will be on listen-only mode to avoid any background noise during the presentation. In case you get accidentally get kicked out, please rejoin using the same link provided in your registration confirmation email. In this particular ON24 platform, you will see multiple windows in your browser. There is a slide window which is showing uh, during the presentation. And there's a media player where you can see the webcam of our presenter. You can use the maximize button to enlarge or drag and drop um, to sort of resize that button. There would be also a Q&A sections called ask questions um, in this particular platform. If you have any questions during or after the presentation, please let us know using the same Q&A box. We will be happy to answer that in end of our sessions. And um, in the end of this one, we will record today's sessions, so the on-demand will be available as well. And you'll also see several possibilities to open other windows at the bottom of your screen. So they will open up when you click and disappear when you click again. So our today's session is focused on 
And this is a discussion-only session. And this is focused on current challenges, especially around the context of large and comprehensive genomic profiling analysis and how to improve the existing or your existing pipeline for somatic mutation analysis, interpretations, and reporting. We have an expert panel of key opinion leaders, lab directors, and molecular pathologists. And as we get started, uh, we would like to know from you that in your opinion, what do you see as the top challenges in analyzing and interpreting cancer genomics data? I will launch a quick poll right now for a couple of seconds. Please take the poll and let us know in your opinion, what do you see as a top challenge? I will just give a couple of seconds for the poll. Thanks for taking the poll. So the theme of this ontology summit essentially is analyze with precision and interpret with confidence. And we would like to proclaim that how our ontology content can help you and hopefully make your work in analyzing and interpreting large and comprehensive cancer panels accurately and efficiently with confidence. We are the recognized global leader in bioinformatics and clinical bioinformatics space. And we have delivered over 3 million clinical patient cases. We have more than 90,000 plus uh, users globally. And um, in terms of really what's enabled us to be the number one in this space uh, is the approach we are calling augmented molecular intelligence. The reality is that um, there's a lot of um, chatter and hype about AI and machine learning and NLP and curating and building the knowledge. But in the heart of everything, what we do is about um, delivering trusted data that people can be confident in making decisions. And no matter whether it is the research level or in the clinical or brain scientist level or in the data scientist level. And the key is that we start looking at a lot of hype around AI, et cetera, about quality. Here in Kaizen Digital Insights, we use machine learning and NLP to rapidly identify information and with, by using the human and scientific expert, where we focus on our river, leveraging to review, validate, and augment the information into a high-quality knowledge base that can be trusted to make an accurate and confident decision. In today's sessions, you will hear our speakers will touch upon a little bit on that, and we will talk about that later. Let me, without a further ado, get to the session. So the moderator of the, today's session is Dr. Catherine Van Gertz. Dr. Catherine joined Kaijin Digital Insights clinical, as a clinical application scientist team with the acquisition of N of One in 2019. She's currently, she currently supports the Kaijin Clinical Insights for Oncology. She held a postdoctoral position at the Max Planck Institute of Biochemistry at the University of Pennsylvania. Before joining N of One, Dr. Catherine served as the editor of American Journal of Human Genetics. With that, I will hand it over to Dr. Catherine to take the session ahead, along with our expert panel of external speakers. Over to you, Catherine, if you can hear me. Great. Yeah, thank you, Aman. Perfect. Hello, everybody. Thank you all for, um, for joining. I'm really grateful that um, to have these four panelists and also for our audience joining today. Um, hopefully, we have a really involved and interesting productive discussion. Um, before digging into the questions, though, I thought we could have our panelists um, introduce uh, themselves a little bit. Um, please just 
talk about where you are, what country you're in, um, your role at your institute, what your lab is doing, et cetera. Um, let's go with just the order um, that's on the slide. I see uh, Christoph is, is the first person, if you would introduce yourself, followed by Alif and then Lara and Miguel. Yeah, um, hello everybody and thanks for the starting. Um, I'm Professor Schmidt, I'm a biologist and uh, lab manager at Enopod in, in Bonn in Germany. Uh, we analyze tumor samples in a, a central lab uh, for 17 private pathological, pathological institutes spread over Germany. Um, and in our lab, uh, we use only PCR and NGS-based methods, mainly solid tumors we analyze um, and rarely also liquid biopsy and other materials. Thanks. Um, Elif? Yeah, hi. My name is Elif Daktan. I am human geneticist. I'm working in, uh, in, in the pathology and in a, uh, in a uh, human genetic institution. Um, uh, I'm leading the uh, department of NGS diagnostic. We are mainly uh, looking for biomarkers in solid tumors. We are trying to uh, uh, choose the exact medication uh, which cancer patient has to get. So um, we are also planning to do liquid biopsy and we are also um, uh, trying to do hemato-oncology. Um, yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm working in, in Germany, Bochum and in Düsseldorf. Thank you. All right, Lara? Lara, can you can you introduce yourself next? I think you are on mute. Well, let's let's move to you, Miguel, while we wait. Oops. Okay. Uh... Good morning to everyone and thanks to Kayajen for the invitation. Uh, my name is Miguel Molina. I'm the scientific director of the Laboratory of Oncology in the Deseus Hospital in Barcelona. Uh, my laboratory does all kinds of testing in uh, solid tumors from uh, fish to NGS to immunohistochemistry. And we also test for her hereditary disorders and we use all kinds of, uh, of biopsies, not only uh, tumor biopsies, but also liquid biopsies. And that includes not only blood, but also pleural effusions and assays and all kinds of materials. And finally, my laboratory provides services to five private hospitals in the Barcelona area. And we, also, we are also a central laboratory in a number of clinical trials. Great, thank you. Lara, can you can you hear us? Are you able to speak? I think she's going to join back. Yeah, I think we had a technical issue. So, um, oh, great, back already. Yes, wonderful. <laughs> Good. So uh, my name is Laura Lahtinen. Uh, I'm a molecular biologist and work in the central 
Finland Hospital Nova, and I work at pathology, and our main uh, sample type is the um, solid tumors, uh, and uh, we use the tissue uh, samples and also liquid biopsies uh, to study the mutations in solid tumor. And um, our um, and we serve our own hospital needs uh, for tumor diagnostics and also uh, service uh, other hospitals if they need uh, testing uh, on, on uh, solid tumors. Wonderful, thank you. Yeah, so we have, we have kind of a diverse panel with uh, different countries represented, also service labs, um, university hospitals, et cetera. So that's, that's really good. Um, so you talked a bit in your introductions of yourselves about what you are um, sequencing. So some of you are doing, I, I guess everybody's doing solid tumors. Some are also doing liquid biopsies. Um, would you please talk a little bit about the panels you're running specifically? And if these, um, you know, if they're small or large, if they're hotspot panels or more comprehensive, um, and also if that's changed over the last one, two years, um, as far as scope of, of testing. Um, Lara, can we just start with you with that? Yes, we mostly use quite small GAIA-seq uh, actionable panel, and that is something we have used more, uh, from the start on, on very early days of NGS. And uh, it's only 21 genes, uh, and it, it really like uh, is kind of concentrated on the real actionable uh, uh, mutations on, on solid tumors like uh, colorectal cancer, lung cancer, melanoma, GIST, and so on. So the most common cancer types. Uh, we do have also larger panel uh, that we use in a rarer uh, cases, the comprehensive cancer panel with 275 genes. And that is used when uh, maybe some more rare cancer type uh, is needing the testing or is we have a cancer of unknown primary or it's very aggressive cancer in young patients and the clinician just wants to look some treatment options more widely um, so just to get a more wider uh, screen on what's going on with the tumor could we find some uh, treatment targets there great thank you um, Christoph, what are, what are you using for sequencing? Um, we, we have, uh, some different panels, um, in our lab, uh, for, for easy use, um, fast and quick. We, we have a small panel from Kyogene with about 20 genes, um, that, uh, has uh, the most actionable genes and not all, uh, only the, the relevant exons, um, inside for, uh, lung or unknown primary or things like that, we use a, a a middle large panel, it's about 50 genes. Um, also, it contains the most actionable genes, but mainly there are the full genes inside. And uh, also for TMB, HID, or um, last attempt or something like that, um, we um, use TSO 500 mm -hmm. for, for bigger analysis. And um, that we use for these cases, yeah. And we always look what, what is the requirement of the oncologist and decide uh, which panel fits best for this uh, clinical decision. Great, thank you. Um, Miguel, maybe you could go next. For 
for somatic mutations, we are using a 30 gene panel. Uh, and this is a comprehensive panel. We use it for all kinds of tumors, solid tumors, because we think it's faster and cheaper. At least in our country, cost is an issue because you, you sometimes you don't get any funding for the testing. Sometimes you only get 300 euros from pharma companies or clinical trials. So the patient often has to pay. So for us, cost is an issue. And also, and I think that's quite important, we are also using a 15 gene for fusions and splicing variants. We are using a 15 gene panel RNA-based. So in our experience, you, I mean, if you try to detect fusions and splicing variants on DNA, you're going to miss quite a lot of them. So I think it's very important to have an RNA-based panel for fusions and splicing variants. Great. Interesting. Thank you. Um, Elif, I think that you also have uh, uh, DNA and RNA. Maybe you can yes. tell us about what you're using for, for sequencing. Okay. Uh, I use mainly multimodal lung cancer panel because like 60% of my patients have lung cancer. Um, I use almost all targeted DNA panel from Kyogene. Uh, also HRD score uh, detection, comprehensive cancer panel and all um, different type of targeted DNA panels I use in my lab. Um, I uh, 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 also use multimodal PAM cancer panel uh, and uh, a multimodal leukemia panel. So Great, and I think so. Maybe I missed this in your you're you're doing solid tumors and but you will also start. You're using FFPE as a as a starting tissue. Exactly, but exactly. moving to liquid biopsy. Yes, we are uh, trying to establish here a uh, uh, um, uh, liquid biopsy. I have already in other labs my experience with uh, a liquid biopsy using actionable targeted DNA panel uh, for detection of uh, uh, EGFRT 790M uh, detection. I already used um, uh, actionable panel for liquid biopsy, but now uh, uh, we will have new panels for liquid biopsy, uh, I'm looking forward to to use them. Um, thank you. And and others of you are already using liquid. I guess I would be interested in hearing what your what your thoughts are about the different tissue sources. What you prefer, why you would move to liquid, um, if if you are, or what would is are you being pushed to do that kind of. Um, by reimbursement or by ease of workflow or or what is it, um, or are you sticking with with FFPE or or what are what are your thoughts around that? Would anyone like to well, start? Well, in, in in our laboratory, we've been using liquid biopsies for several years. Yeah, and you know, if uh, for the initial uh, testing of a patient, it's best to have uh, tissue, but at least in lung cancer, particularly in lung cancer and other pathologies, very often the, the amount of tissue you have is very, very limited or you have no, no tissue at all, then you gotta go to, to liquid biopsies. Because very often the diagnosis of lung cancer is done by cytological techniques or EBUS or other techniques that only get a little bit of material. 
And also for the follow-up of a patient, I think liquid biopsies are very important. You cannot biopsy a patient like every time the patient comes to the to the, to the clinic or to the hospital for for revision. So it's very important in this setting. It's very, liquid biopsies are very important because you can see you can detect the, the reemergence of somatic mutations or or the appearance of resistance mechanisms in the liquid biopsies right and is that maybe this is an ignorant question but is that also part of the trial procedure if you're involved with um yes the molecular testing for trials okay yeah in, in many trials in many clinical trials there is a regular testing in liquid biopsies yeah, depends great. on the trial. But, uh, it's it's not Chris, uncommon. I think you said you are also using liquid on a regular basis. Is that right? Sorry, you asked me. Yeah, sure. Yes, yeah. <laughs> everybody. Oh, sorry, I didn't. Yeah. No? Okay. Yeah, I didn't hear you. So well. So yeah, we are using also liquid biopsy biopsy and have done that all, uh, many years. Uh, but we have been using the digital PCR for that and we would like to go for the NGS just because it would be kind of easier workflow, I think, uh, because we are already using so much NGS on the solid sample. So it would be kind of convenient to also have it for liquid biopsy uh, and also to get a wider view on the mutations, the NGS would be better because now we just uh, test for individual mutations like the most common EGFR mutations or maybe KRAS or BRAF, but that's mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. And what about you, Christoph? Are you also doing PCR for the liquid biopsies? Um, no, uh, we, we perform liquid biopsies since a few years, um, but it's a very low frequency. We get uh, samples, mainly lung uh, samples, and we use an NGS panel, a quite big NGS panel, too big <laughs> normally. Um, but because it's it's a very uh, rare event that we get liquid privacy, so we, it's, it's easier for us to use this panel. Uh, the problem is always, in my opinion, that we often, for lung, that we mainly uh, do is uh, that you often do not find any mutations, so you do not know if you have tumor material in the blood. And um, that is not uh, satisfying for the for the oncologist. So uh, he needs to to get a get a uh, two more sample afterwards uh, anywhere. Uh, so it's not so so often. We do not get so often liquid biopsy. Another problem in Germany is the reimbursement. It, it gets a little bit better in Germany at the moment, uh, but it's it's not um, yeah in the main flow. Uh, it, it can be get more often perhaps uh, end of the year because there's a new. Um, uh, therapy for uh, mama, uh, perhaps, uh, and yeah. it could be a starter for liquid biopsy, and uh, that in future, perhaps, uh, this will open the liquid biopsy. Uh, right. More, based on, basically, based on the approval status, and then that gets the the technique yes. into the labs. Yep. Great. Thank you. Um, okay. So, let's, I'm looking at my questions here. Um, so, it looks like most of the panels are on, on a routine basis using relatively small panels, um, gene panels, um, with maybe some exceptions for unusual tumors, or we have one of the panelists is using a, a large panel on more of a, or larger panels that seem multimodal and comprehensive on more of a regular basis. 
Um, what are the thoughts around moving to, to larger gene panels or adding genes to your current panels? Why would you do it? Why would you not do it? And I guess what are, what are some of the challenges um, that you would face in, in making that change? Um, Elif, maybe you can start because you already have made that change. Maybe you can can give us an idea about what drove you to do that and what what challenges you faced in in moving. Well, I do NGS uh, since two thousand and eleven. Um, well, uh, first of all, we we uh, at the beginning we we used only actionable panel, but um, we had very different type of uh, solid tumor identities. So we couldn't really um, um, cover all the biomarkers which is needed uh, to get the best treatment for the patient. So I moved um, more and more, first of all, with colorectal cancer panel, with breast cancer panel, I made the panel bigger. So. Um, one of the biggest advantage I have seen moving from the small one to the bigger uh, panels is not just only I can uh, detect specifically the biomarker, but also um, thanks to a bigger uh, uh, panel, I can also kind of understand what, what was the problem of the patient. Like I can, without doing TMB, I can also see if the uh, 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 TMB is high or low. I can also kind of figure out, is, is it, is it um, a microsatellite instable or not? You can see that uh, uh, from the profile you are, uh, you are getting from the NGS, you can kind of um, tell the uh, pathologist or oncologist to ask for different uh, type of um, um, biomarkers. Um, so, um, I would go for bigger panels if I have enough uh, sample, but I wouldn't recommend uh, uh, any big sample if the tissue or tumor content is low. Then I use uh, smaller uh, uh, panels. If, I, if my tumor content is low, my material is bad, specifically with the pancreatic cancer. We know that our DNA is uh, very badly fragmented, so we try to use as many small panels than rather than a big one. So um, yeah, I'm very happy about using bigger panel because we have a big uh, sequencer. And if you don't have too much cases, it doesn't matter from the cost if you have a small panel or a big panel. So you, you have a big sequencer and sequencing uh, is also way more cheaper with the bigger uh, uh, sequencer. So it pays a kind of uh, off. I had to uh, use a uh, pan cancer panel because I had a lot of different type of very rare uh, uh, cancer uh, patients. So I can with the pan cancer panel. I can I can look for everything. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Would anyone else like to to comment on their thoughts around moving to a larger panel or also maybe including these other? Um, variant types like like fusions or cnvs or you know i don't know large promoter say promoter alterations trip promoter etc well i i recognize that in an ideal world it would be great to have to submit all samples to a 
like let's say 500 gene panel or even to whole exome sequencing. But problem is that we are far from an ideal world. Uh, you have the issue of reimbursement. And you know, larger panels are more expensive and time consuming. And you have the issue of the number of people working in the lab. You can hire 100 people to, to, to the lab. So if you use a large panel, you, uh, you, it's, it's more expensive. And there's the issue of interpretation. You end up with hundreds of mutations you need to interpret. And at the end, you get like a number of mutations of uncertain significance. And the oncologist doesn't know what to do with these mutations. Yeah. So, you know, the number of really actionable mutations, the number of mutations, fusions, splicing variants, and copy number variations that can give an orientation to the oncologist about the treatment is limited. So for these reasons, I think we are going to stick to a, to a small panel. Maybe we will add up more genes if new markers are discovered, or we, yeah. we get clinical trials for different uh, uh, you know, alterations, but I think we're going to stick with a smaller, a small panels, very focused on actionable mutations, and not only mutations, but also, as you said, copy number variations and splicing variants and fusions. Um, Great, thank you. Katie, can I just, just one, one more point? Can I make one more point? Sure. Um, like, we are also doing a lot of BRCA1 and BRCA2 analysis, and we about 30% of our cases uh, having a variant unknown significance. And in this case, we are recommending uh, HRD score. And this is one of also the reasons why we had to move to a bigger bigger uh, panels to, to detect the HRD score in cases where we don't know if the BRCA1 or 2 mutation is um, a pathogen or not. That was also help. Yeah, that's also an interesting point because um, there are a lot of kind of biomarkers now that are not just mutations in genes, right? There's MSI that has been brought up, tumor mutational burden scores. Now there's HRD that's um, a little newer that also has therapeutic impact. So are 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 those of you who are not doing the the comprehensive cancer sequencing with the with the large panels where all of these things are kind of included um are you are you detecting msi or different things in different ways or um are you are you just not doing those kind of biomarkers we have uh, added the msi to the small panel so mm -hmm. we, that way we have already grown the small panel a bit uh, and do the uh, um, immunohistochemical mismatch repair uh, stainings only if we get the MSI high result. So that's result uh, going to um, diminish the number of uh, immunohistochemical stainings we need to do. So that's helping also okay. the lab in that way. Um, and we also, uh, I, I agree, agree with Miguel uh, that uh, with the issues with the small and a big panel. Um, so I think we will stick uh, with this quite um, uh, small panel, maybe grow it a little bit. Uh, and then maybe for the rarer cases, we will uh, acquire even bigger uh, panel uh, and, and maybe for the both the DNA and RNA. I think that's 
the way yeah. we are going forward now. Uh, but also, it's also with multimodal, yeah. are are you using separate separate RNA panels and DNA? Uh, well, currently we are using separate. We have just yeah. a small RNA panel, mostly for lung cancer and uh, cholangiocarcinoma fusions. Yeah. But yeah, that we have been trialing the multimodal also. So maybe that's the next step. Yeah. Christoph, do you have um, thoughts about whatever these these other biomarkers or? I mean, you you mentioned that you're using large panels in the in some cases where there are where there are cup cases or um, different reasons to use the the large panel. Yeah, well, we are we are always looking uh, what's the requirements of oncologists and uh, what is the, the treatment options. So for lung, we always use a bigger panel with more than fifty genes because there's a lot of therapeutical options. Um, but but for smaller um, like colon or melanoma, there, there are, we use only the small panel. And we always look what are new therapeutic options. And if there's a necessity to, to um, add more genes to our panel, we, we, we do it. We, we get a bigger panel. Or if there are some uh, yeah, very large uh, asks, we use TSO 500, for example, right. HRE, TMB, or um, in cases uh, when there's no um, other therapeutic options, yeah, there, there's often uh, ask for, for a bigger panel, so we use TSO 500. And then with that, you're also getting TMB and MSI, I guess. Yes, yes. Yeah. MSI okay. is a little bit critical. We do normally we do MSI by uh, fragment analysis. Um, just if it is asked uh, for MSI, um, because the panels, our panels do not. Uh, only TSI 400, 500 um, includes MSI, or other panels do not yet include MSI. So we mm -hmm. do it only when it, it's asked for. And okay. By yeah, and I guess that's what... Sorry. Comparing to my normal, yes. yes. I think that's what we also um, heard from Miguel is about some of it, or from you also, it, it has to do also about reimbursement. And is MSI testing reimbursed? And are there, or are there certain methods that are reimbursed and others not that drives you to use one method over another yeah but not for msi it, it wouldn't matter not for or for um yeah you're right sorry for um oh no does it does it not matter for msi was was immunohistochemistry not a a preferred yeah, but it doesn't matter if you do by fragment analysis or ngs or something like that. okay okay thank you so in, in my country, only immunohistochemistry for MMR is reimbursed. So there is no, I mean, if you do NGS, you're not for reimbursed. Yeah, uh, thank you. And also, and, and also another comment, I think uh, we should be a bit cautious about incorporating new biomarkers. Let's take TMB. Uh, you know, TMB, tumor mutation burden was kind of like in fashion some time ago, but now uh, there are doubts about, you know, if it's a really useful marker. So, um, yeah, I think that know, there are definitely questions about, you know, where to set the cutoff yeah. and is it dependent on the tumor type? Probably. Um, and it is not a validated, really and it's not a validated biomarker. It's not, at least in Europe, it's not an approved biomarker. So, uh, you know, making the effort of, you know, for, for to, to up to, Appropriately estimate TMB, you need a large panel. 
Right. So do, doing a lot of effort and, and <laughs> investing a lot of money to incorporate a biomarker that is not fully validated, uh, maybe it's not worth the effort. So. I guess that's it. Also, maybe an interesting point because um, because there there are approvals based on TMB um, by the FDA, but not not by the EMA. So how does that impact? Does the FDA approval impact at all what you're doing? Or are you really focused on EMA or even more specific country approvals? Finland, to be country, just... country specific, yeah. Yeah, we do in Finland is country specific. Mm -hmm. It depends a little bit if the therapy is available in the country. Yeah, you often have off-label therapies, and when you get the yeah, if you, if you can buy it, the, um, it's an option. Yeah, to do it off-label. But if you if it's not uh, viable in in the country, you have a problem. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so let's see, um, maybe just a quick summary, I guess, of, of what we talked about so far. Lots of different panel types, um, and, and it depends kind of on the, on the tissue specimen and the tumor type, what panel gets used in the end, what's important for that, for that specific type of cancer, as well as you know, how much tumor content are you going to find or how much tissue is available for as starting material for your sequencing. Um, and also, yeah, some of you, I guess most of you are at least testing for some of these biomarkers, but the importance of that is not necessarily, it's not, it's not necessarily super important if you don't have a drug that's, that's usable, that's useful for you to use um, then, then why spend that extra money to test for it? Um, I think that what I would like to move to basically now is also something that, that Miguel brought up, um, and that's interpretation. So that's kind of more my area of expertise. Um, I, was a, I was actually a, a curator. I was on the curation team of N of 1 um, when, when Kaijin purchased that. So so I'm more into the, the interpretation of the variant. So you can use whatever you use to sequence, and then you, then you identify what's, you know, what are these true variants? Is this an artifact or is this a, a true variant? And all of that takes a lot of planning and a lot of work. Um, and then you get to the point where you have this list of variants that you think are true, they're truly present, and they're actually relevant for your tumor type but then what do you do with them? So how do you interpret those variants? Um, and I guess the, the question would be, um, what, what are your biggest challenges when it comes to variant interpretation? Um, I guess we heard, we heard from Miguel that, that more sequencing, right? A larger panel, you end up with these VUSs. Um, in my mind, that's kind of the biggest challenge. What do you do with with the with the BUS, but um, I would like to hear from from each of you about about that. Um, Christoph, you're still on my screen, so maybe you could start. <laughs> yes, thanks. Uh, yeah, the, the variant interpretation it gets more and more challenge as the panels get bigger. That's uh, that's the problem. Uh, for example, for for lung, um, we use our 50 gene panel, 
Um, and uh, these are mainly actionable genes uh, and uh, you, you get a, always a few mutations, but uh, it's um, quite manageable what you get on mutations. Yeah, and there are often uh, tumor suppressor genes like TP53 or something like that. And you just can have a look at a, at a database like HSMD yeah, that we use for this and you uh, find relati uh, relatively fast um, the interpretations, yeah? sometimes uh, pathogen or FUS or something like that, uh, it depends. Uh, but it gets more and more different when you use a, a bigger panel like TSO500, you get so many mutations, you cannot uh, anymore analyze it with it in a single in a single step way. So you have to use a bigger database um, like UCI. We use uh, MHGuide for this, uh, for molecular health, where, where you uh, analyze all variants in one step. And of course, you get a lot of mutations that are not clearly uh, uh, in, a, in a clear category. So you have to look in more databases and check it in another database or something like that. And, um, but we use it like that, that we always um, report mutations that are um, pathogenic or activating or something like that. That yeah. could be uh, perhaps actionable. Um, we always report these, and with the first, uh, it depends. We, we, we search um, sometimes. If, if uh, you find an um, unknown mutation in an actionable gene, yeah, you, of course, yeah. uh, spend more time if it's perhaps relevant or if there is a case uh, report that describes this mutation or something like that. If you get an unknown mutation in a gene that you never heard of, uh, you do not spend so much time for interpretation of it. Because there's no, there's no drug anyway, I guess. You would yeah. not report it, probably, yes. And then you wouldn't report it, yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you follow or do maybe others follow um, like specific guidelines about what you need to report um, versus what you don't? For, I guess I think of TP53 is a, is a good example where you know that it's doing something, right? It's, it's inactivating mm -hmm. mutation in a tumor suppressor. Um, but there isn't really a good therapy option. Is that important to report or, or not? We, we always report TP53 because yeah. it's a little indicator for the, for the tumor or something like that. You see the tumor content and things like that. Uh, and it has a little benefit, I think, also for the, for the tumor. In rare cases, it has some um, yeah, therapeutic options or um, yeah, yeah. decisions. But uh, we, TP53, we always report this. Um, even if it's unknown significance. Mm -hmm. Even if it's unknown, okay. Yep. Um, Lara, do you wanna maybe weigh in on what what you face or what you see as, as the big challenges to variant interpretation? Yes, with small panel, um, it's pretty easy because you rarely find anything unusual or new uh, there. But, and, and we actually have a software that helps us to um, to annotate and interpret the change, whether it's pathogenic or not, and then to report. But mm -hmm. it um, it uses only these uh, common um, databases like ClinVar and uh, Cosmic and so on. So if something um, uh, more rare comes up, we just have to look the information ourselves from the literature or some other databases. Uh, so that's the time consuming and doesn't yeah. really fit when you're using a large panel and will have a lot of different um, variants there that you have to uh, interpret. Um, and also 
uh, we have been uh, trialing the Gaiatin QCI for this uh, to help us in the uh, finding the relevant mutations and also getting the uh, up-to-date information on the uh, on the drugs available um, and also the clinical trials. So we definitely, with larger panels, need help on, on kind of interpreting the uh, findings more. Uh, Thanks. Um, Miguel, do you want to weigh in here? Yeah. For yeah, for for variant interpretation, we always use QCI interpret. We think it's a great software because uh, it summarizes all the information about a variant, uh, and also it gives you the approved therapies and approved clinical trials. It saves you a lot of money. Uh, sorry, a lot of time. And, well, and time is money. So yeah. that's, oh, cool. yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and you can also provide a proper report to the oncologist with all the approved therapies and, and everything. We think it's a great program. And also, I think we need to distinguish here between uh, somatic and hereditary analysis. In the case of somatic, uh, you can find some variants of, of uncertain significance, but not so many. In the case of hereditary analysis, those are very frequent. I mean, you often find variants of uncertain significance in BRCA or, or MSH1 or yeah. whatever. And, and that requires a little bit of work and a little bit of research. After you do some research in databases with the help of QCI interpret, and, and you very often you end up with the variant being of uncertain significance. You, you uh -huh. don't find, you, you, you don't really know if it's pathogenic or not. And then you, this is what, in my opinion, this is what you, you got to say to the oncologist. Okay, I, I think this variant is, could be pathogenic or could be benign, but there is not enough data yeah. to go one direction or the other. And the last comment, I think that you require uh, molecular biologists or similar to really uh, annotate variants. Pathologists, uh, you know, pathologists, have great knowledge in other areas. I don't think they are qualified to annotate variants. And I'm afraid this is a mistake many laboratories are doing that having a pathologist annotate variants, at least in my country. And I think that not, that's not the most appropriate way to, to, to do it. Yeah, I, I would agree that, that it definitely takes training to... Yeah. And, um... and not and not a month or two months, because you you need to know yeah. what uh, um, what uh, uh, what the types of amino acids that you know the types of uh, mutations if it's yeah. uh, friendship uh, in frame whatever and you need to to know about domains of the protein and I think you really know a very sound molecular biologist knowledge of protein chemistry and. and, and nucleic acids to annotate a variant. Right, to actually call a variant yeah, pathogenic yeah, or yeah, activating. Yeah. I, I, I don't think pathologists are qualified to do that. Maybe we could um, qualify that statement to just say not all path pathologists. <laughs> it's not part of the regular pathology training, probably. No, of course. It's a, it would require more, yeah, yeah. more education and more time doing yeah. it to, yeah. to actually yeah. get efficient, proficient. I would like to point one thing that also the clinicians, the oncologists would need more uh, more education on the molecular terms and the methods uh, used because sometimes we, we um, 
see that they they don't really understand the results uh, because they don't understand the molecular uh, terminology or something uh, like that. So that's also needed, and we we really need to work on the actual reports so they are they are easy to understand even if, even you are not a specialist in a molecular biology. Right. That's that's, right. that's what I, I hear very often is that, you know, the, the reports can be, they can be very simple. You can put, you know, just a mutation and maybe an associated drug and therapy, um, which is quick to, to see, you know, is this approved in this indication based on this biomarker? Or you can have these really complex reports that are full of information that's very useful that, that that maybe would be helpful in guiding a treatment decision, but not everybody is mm -hmm. um, has the time or even the the knowledge to actually digest all of that information for at, at the point of care. So I think that's that's also interesting how different different groups, depending on how their what their makeup is and what their what their procedure is, need different reports, different kinds of reports, different information on them. Um, and also maybe have different internal guidelines as well as country-specific guidelines about what to put on a report. Is it important to put, you know, a, a table of VUSs? You know, is that oncologist or that treating physician going to look through and say, ah, you know, there are so many uh, VUSs in this gene or in this pathway that I think this treatment could actually be uh, an option. Yeah. Education, following, I guess, is, yes, is, fo is key. Following on that, I think it's very important that the molecular biologist goes to the tumor board. Because yeah. <clears throat> this way, <clears throat> you know, all these questions can be answered. If there are doubts, in, uh, the oncologist or the pathologist has doubts, that the, the molecular biologist can answer them. Mm -hmm. Um, Alif, I think we never got to you yet on the interpretation yeah. question. Yeah, well, I am using QCI for the last five to six years. Um, I wouldn't say I have a problem with the interpretation. I find it pretty easy. I have my experience and I have my practice. I know um, which genes are important. I mean, uh, who, uh, I don't, I, I mainly focus on genes which are important for the therapy. As a human geneticist, I am mainly interested in genes which might be might be um, f uh, could affect the family members. They are not ill yet. So my first task is, I, I think, as a human geneticist, although I am in I am in Germany and we are not allowed to say that's a germline mutation, but most of the time I can see if it's a germline or somatic mutation. So I, I am recommending uh, uh, the patient to get a genetical counselor. So I work also in the, as a genetical counselor in another, uh, another department. So um, I kind of know the genes and I know which are important for family uh, 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 for for cancer. I, uh, cancer. Uh, um, so I focus mainly on 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 biomarkers, which is therapy relevant, as I said. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't find the interpretation hard, as I said, um, um, but the, uh, 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 to find uh, which is true positive, which is uh, which is false negative. So t uh, kind of your your artifact to to find like the, the bigger the panel gets, 
more artifacts you have and you have to kind of uh, like if you have an artifact it's always the same ones yeah so you have to if you have a big panel so you have like say 30 40 artifacts which you have to remember so it takes a little bit time um this is the uh, this is the first thing um um yeah i i remember the for every very first day i used qci uh, like before qci i would need a day or two or maybe three days to interpret a big panel or maybe BRCA one and two so when when i used very first time qci i i remember i was very very sad because i, I was like <laughs> within, within 30 minutes i'm like no i can't be finished within 30 minutes so <laughs> i was a little bit sad because we didn't have all the years i was spending three days analyzing BRCA one and BRCA two genes i was pretty sad not having this this um tool uh i remember that very very well so um yeah i'm i'm happy i don't see any problems yeah you're right with the variant unknown significance um if there is a a a, a germline mutation you can send to the genetical counselor to do a segregation analysis there are other different type of analysis you might kind of find out which is a pathogenic or not which can also genetical counselor kind of uh, try to interpret further for the therapy relevance um, yes, one, there is one, there were one more point about the oncologist. Uh, they need to be educated, but I see a very, very big change uh, uh, within the oncologist. Um, the, uh, like five years ago, I remember having discussion about what's BRCA1 and 2. So they are, yeah. they, they develop themselves. They, it's getting uh, uh, easier to, to communicate with them. And we are also doing a lot of, uh, um, Tumor board. We are, we are attending tumor board as a human geneticist or as a molecular biologist. We are attending um, tumor board and uh, educate every week our oncologists or pathologists. Um, uh, yeah, it is. Things are changing a lot, uh, and yeah, I mean, I'm 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 happy with with the interpretation, but the variance artifacts type. Those yeah. Of so what I'm what I'm hearing is basically with a larger panel, the challenge, depending if you if you have like a if you have a um, software decision support software that's that's mm -hmm. high quality and that helps you, then interpretation doesn't necessarily have to be the bottleneck. Um, yeah. But, uh, but it, it can be extremely time consuming to to look up. You know, find the literature for these variants, even on smaller panels. If you get VUSs, I know sometimes there's a lot of information, and at the end of the day, you still can't say that it's activating or inactivating. You know, you maybe you spend three hours, and you still call it a VUS, um, and that that's time consuming. And that's where I think some decision software support can help. Um, and also staying, keeping up to date because it is a fast changing field. Um, there are new approvals um, in oncology very often. And a lot of them, really a lot of them are now uh, molecular based approvals. Um, so not just a specific tumor type, we even have like non-tumor specific molecular approvals um, for, for drugs. Um, but also what you said, Alif, is that 
some of the bottleneck is also just with the secondary analysis, right? You have a lot of a lot of sequence, and then you end up with artifacts. You have to analyze the the secondary. Um, you have to analyze all of the sequencing to know what is what is real, what is even worth spending this time looking through the literature and and deciding do we report it or not. And um, we are also living in Germany, so we have lots of different type of populations. So I can I, I have a lot of difficulties with patients coming from other part of the world. So yeah. uh, these are also problems we are facing if you have like someone coming from South Vietnam, so we don't have any population-based analysis yet. So it's difficult uh, uh, to interpret, but we go and tell the pathologists, you see lots of loses, it's not uh, TMB high, it's because the population is not <laughs> very well defined. Uh, yeah, we, we have a lot of different mm -hmm. type of uh, patients. Yeah, right, which adds to the, to the challenge. Yes. I guess, um, Lara, you can maybe speak to that too, because I think that the Finnish population is of course known to have um, some different genetics. Yeah, we are quite unique. And so sometimes a challenge because you find a lot of these uh, um, variants uh, that you don't uh, find any information on. And it's only maybe seen in few Things in some the database, yeah. but it is difficult to say whether it's something term, pathogenic in germline or is it just normal uh, mm -hmm. variant? Yes. Um, let's see. I think I, I actually I have a few more questions, but we're I see we're already almost at the top of the hour. Um, I think maybe before we move to like the final question of what what do you think the future holds. Um, I would like to just touch on IVDR or regulatory um, certifications. Um, how are you dealing with that? Is that important to you? Are you incorporating, how are you incorporating the new regulations into your workflow? Does it, maybe it doesn't even impact your work. Uh, well, yeah. I can start because we are very in, uh, early phases in Finland. I think we are still quite confused on what we should yeah. do and, and how to how to handle this issue. So we haven't uh, done much, at least in our hospital. And I think it's the same with other pathology department, at least that we are quite uh, confused still uh, how to proceed on this. Right. Yeah, that's something i also i i hear from customers is that it's not it's just not clear exactly what what needs to be done or how to go about doing it um in in our laboratory we have an iso 15189 accreditation granted by the okay. spanish uh accreditation body because i think in my country is going to be uh, compulsory soon yeah yeah and you know this kind of ISO accreditation, um, I think it's a good thing because you, you gotta validate properly, validate all your all your next generation sequencing, mm -hmm. and, and you gotta write a complete validation report with sensitivity, specificity, positive predictive value, things like that. You gotta compare your results with the gold standard, and I think well, good, yeah. I so think we... can be a good good way to to to, to do it. You know. 
We've spent a lot of time and effort, energy, um, <laughs> looking into the regulations, making sure we understand them. Confusing, and now, as of this year, we have for QCI, there is the um, ISO 13485, um, and it's on the path. Everything's been submitted for IBDR. Um, there's a backlog. I think that's something also, right, that everyone is going to have to face, that they finally get all of their documentation in order, um, and then they face a huge backlog actually getting certification. Yeah, and then the accreditation is a really good starting for for IBDR, and uh, it, it will be get more problems uh, when the the kits are um, when there are more kits available that are IBDR. So you have to uh, look in a few years uh, if you can use your own method or have to choose uh, commercial kit. That will be yeah. a bigger problem, I think, in, in future. How to justify maybe what you are using versus what's available, and yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Well, maybe we can just move now. It's it's eleven oh one. I think I think we could leave it open till eleven thirty. Um, but depending on if we have um, customer questions or not customer, but um, participant questions, um, what I would like to do is just kind of sum it up and see um, what you think the future holds. Do you think that you will be sticking with with the the small targeted panels do you think that liquid biopsies alone will be the future do you think um large panels or even you know i know that a lot of labs are even moving to exome or genome sequencing um is that something that you see as a realistic future um what what do you think um maybe my opinion about um whole exome uh, sequencing uh, using tumor uh, uh, tissue. Um, I personally think pan cancer is already big enough mm -hmm. to cover everything you need for the treatment decision. So who cares if I look broader and I answer the same question? I know I have a lot of colleagues in Turkey doing doing whole exome uh, sequencing and sometimes i think it's really counterproductive doing it if you have very little tumor content um it's not a help really to do it um yeah this is my opinion about about and i personally looking forwards um if the regulations change in germany um getting more liquid biopsy i I, I have big expectation uh, uh, according to liquid biopsy. We can do so many things with liquid biopsy. We don't have to, like, we don't have to uh, get the biopsy. Why to do the biopsy? Like, uh, just to get the liquid biopsy, and we can answer almost all the questions already from the blood. So, mm -hmm. I I expect a lot in the future from the liquid biopsy, as I said. But the regulations and reimbursements are extremely bad in Germany, so it has to change. Uh, mm -hmm. The uh, health insurances has to understand it's cheaper to get the liquid biopsy than getting a tumor from the patient. So it's the other yeah. things. And one more topic I am at the moment really uh, um, working on a lot is um, NGS-based NGS, NGS based, 
a microorganism detection. For, mm -hmm. It is quicker and it is way cheaper. Like uh, we are looking forward to do that in the future in intensive care uh, uh, hospitals. Mm -hmm. uh, where we have patients with sepsis and we can identify microorganisms very, very quickly using N uh, NGS method. This is mm -hmm. one of the biggest things I'm looking forward to do in the future. Uh, because, you know, if you are in the intensive care, it's, you know, every yeah. minute counts. And yep. we can do a lot using next generation sequencing. So that's one of, okay, it's a, another area, another topic. Yeah, different topic, but yeah, related and... It Relevant. is, it is yep. the future. If we can, if, if we think like in 50 years with the resistance of, um, no, not even 50, like in yeah. 30 years, we will have like 50 million um, of the people will die because of the resistance with the antibioticum. So yeah. detecting those resistance and telling the uh, intensive care, uh, med, uh, uh, care which type of medication is the use. It's the future. So um, I'm looking forward to do that. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else want to mention yeah, what panel. they think is Yes. I, I, in my opinion, panel get bigger and bigger. You see it and uh, you, you more often need panels for example, TMB, HRD, or what we'll get next. I don't know. So for, for these uh, questions, you need a big panel. Yeah. So you have to do a big panel and, and we'll get more and more. And I think in a few years, you you will a bigger panel will get uh, will do it more often and mm -hmm. so the variant um, automatic variant interpretation will get more and more important uh, valuable yeah you will, you will need it more and more uh, what it's missing in the variant interpretation uh, is always if you have a few mutations and that will get better hopefully that uh, the cross uh, between two mutations and interpretation uh, it's missing at the moment the, the co-occurring co-occurring interpretation yeah yeah, yeah that is actually we, we have that right now with qci interpret one that you can mm -hmm. if you have the same if you have a patient with with two different alterations in the same gene or different genes that have an effect on therapy sensitivity resistance or prognosis mm -hmm. or diagnosis um that you can you can get co-occurring co interpretation um and i think that that is moving to more um, platforms on a like a calculated basis, not just a expert interpretation, hands-on um, way. But but there, as more literature is published, and maybe guidelines are are first needed more to to, to help guide um, these computer programs, kind of to to help with that. That's a that's a really good point. Right. Yeah, I think the panel will get back bigger, and variant interpretation will get more and more important. Yeah, liquid biopsy will different. also get more. But, but not every tumor, um, you, you cannot find every tumor in, in the blood. So, so it's not the solution for every tumor. And uh, if it's possible, it's a good solution and it will get better and uh, in future, but uh, mm -hmm. not for every, every tumor. Thanks. I also agree that we will uh, go uh, gradually to bigger panels uh, as more biomarkers uh, emerge. Uh, so it's actually for the lab uh, perspective, it's easier to just do a bit bigger panels than separate panels for different cancers. So definitely I, I can see that we are going bigger, uh, but maybe, maybe gradually and then have this very big one, big panels for special cases at mm -hmm. the moment. Yeah. Thanks.
Any um, final thoughts, Mikael, about the future? Well, who knows what the future holds? But yes. in, in my opinion, liquid biopsies will, will never replace uh, tumor biopsies, because as Christoph said, some tumors do not uh, shed material to the to yeah. the blood. They they can be a, a extremely useful uh, tool, and we've been using them for years, and they are very useful. But they will never replace tissue biopsies. And regarding the size of the panels, uh, as I said, in an ideal world, it would be ideal to have bigger panels. But you have the issues of reimbursement and mm -hmm. tumor materials, so I'm not a hundred percent sure we will move to to 500 gene panels or something like yeah. that in the near in the near future that will depend on reimbursement and also the on the cost of those panels and mm -hmm. also on variant interpretation and another issue i see with variant interpretation is you can have the best software tools in the world but at the end you need someone to do to do the laboratory work and to test yeah. if this in vitro if these variants are uh, functionally relevant or not. If there is no work done in, in cell lines with these variants, uh, they will continue right. being a view, a view US. Yeah, in silico is yeah. maybe not it's, enough. I mean, prediction, yeah. like prediction tools like, like uh, Polyfan or, or yeah. other prediction tools, they are useful, but uh, they will not give you a final answer. They can tell you this variant is likely benign or, or likely you know, pathogenic, yeah. but you need the, you need solid, uh, real world data to, yeah. to find out. Yeah. So the research is not going anywhere either. I mean, it's going uh, forward. It's not yeah, going away. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, okay. I have uh, uh, absolutely different uh, opinion. If I can uh, tell about it, like I, I, I believe um, that liquid biopsy will be something which we will do in the future mostly uh, if i look back what we used to do like 10 years ago like sequencing tp53 we were proud like doing tp53 in a week so if you if you think where we are now within 10 years you can't imagine where we will be really in the te in te um, in within 10 years now. So I think the liquid biopsy will be a very important tool, particularly for the monitoring of the therapy. It's it's going to be something very, very big. And um, but for this, we we are at the moment very, very good, like sequencing the li liquid biopsy. We are very with the new methods. We are very sensitive, of course, the sequencing cost has to get lower. So our biggest challenges right now is this cost of the sequencing, not the sensitivity we are having now for many type of different, many different type of the tumor, tumor identities. Of course, there are some tumor identities which, is, which are not shedding well, which are not. But for most of the tumor uh, cancer patient, it will be the choice of uh, the diagnostic in the future. That's my opinion. This is what I am seeing in, in 10 years. Thanks. Yeah, so I think basically what we heard, yeah, perhaps larger panels if it's not, um, if it's not cost prohibitive, maybe that the cost of sequencing needs to come down 
the reimbursement needs to come up. Uh, for the patient, it would be great to have a one-shot. Let's sequence anything that has a therapy associated with it in one shot um, and, and get a treatment that, that's available and that looks like it could work. Um, and hopefully, at least for some tumor types, that will come more and more from, from liquid biopsies. I guess that would be my, my summary of, of what was just discussed. Um, I think, Iman, I think we're ready to, um, to go back sure. to Sure, thank you, absolutely. And I think we had a great discussion today and we have quite a different opinion about like what the future holds and we'll be like looking forward to like your next five years and 10 years, how it, how it works. But I think what I learned today is that while listening to all of you that um, the one solution is really required for uh, what you are using for analysis and interpretations and reporting like just to automate and sort of helping you to scale up. And um, because what I was listening to, while I was listening to you, and I, I realized that all of you sort of agreed to a point that once you're moving from five genes and 10 genes, and sure, Christoph mentioned that when he's doing a smaller gene panel, he'll uses HSMD for like manual variant interpretations. But when you're moving to the bigger panel with the, like so many variants, you need a tool to sort of, automate and like have a confident interpretations there we can agree so i think that's that that's great and i think we will leave it leave it there and before we go ahead and i launch a quick poll for the audience today to check it ahead and then um i also want to mention that we have a very specific um webinar coming up on qci um interpret one for somatic um analysis which will be sometimes in june please take a look into your email for the notifications. And then um, thank you all for like joining today. And this concludes our part two of the Oncology, Oncology Summit agenda. I guess I, if I have to ask all of you, including uh, Catherine, that if you, if you wanna use, like give me a single word answer, right? In terms of what does the future hold? What would be your one word answer? And there, that, that's where we will conclude. Yeah, and we'll probably start with maybe Christoph. Really easy <laughs> question, not the answer. Sorry, you, you want one word for the future? Yeah, maybe very, very quick answer. One word answer for the what does the future hold a look for you? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, um, it's interesting, um, but uh, also dangerous <laughs> because okay. there's a lot of... Uh, development in the, in the cases. Okay, let's go to Elif. Well, um, I would say we will have big problem with uh, uh, having new colleagues uh, doing the analysis in the future. So we have a lot of to do, but we can't do everything on our own. So our biggest challenge, particularly in Germany, is to ha have the new um, colleagues to, to to work together so we will have more and more to do but we are very rare scientists so this is the biggest challenge and this is the only only problem or only thing which which is at the moment my in my mind sure uh how about you miguel my short answer would be who knows 
is depends on many variables like reimbursement, the the number of biomarkers that are going to appear, the the number of alterations. So so it's it's hard to predict. Right, right, hard to predict. Sure. And Laura, maybe thing that comes to mind is this data overload. So we are really definitely getting more and more uh, out of the our samples and a lot of things we can do nowadays already and in the future probably even more but handling all that that's probably the big issue sure Katie, if you want to give me give me something um yeah i guess information education quick access to to quality high quality information right Thank you. I think that sums it up really well. And thank you for all of you for your great insights. And that concludes our um, like two part of ontology series. So I really finally want to thank you all the speakers, um, Laura, Alif, uh, Christoph, uh, Miguel, and uh, Katie as well for your invaluable inputs. Thanks for to all the audience um, uh, for joining in. And please take a look into the on-demand sessions. Thanks for listening and be the great participant. I hope um, you've learned something today. I wish you a great rest of the day and see you next time. Goodbye and stay safe. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye, -bye. bye.